Combo Nation. We're out here, man. We are out here. Combo Nation, what up? What up? What up, everyone? Welcome to episode 267 of Combos Court. Don't forget to rate, review, and smash down on that subscribe button if you haven't already. Also, if you enjoy this podcast, if you want to support this podcast, check out the Combos Court Patreon page. There's two tiers. One to support, the other one is to support, and you could receive some Combos Court bonus content. That's right, exclusive, Patreon-only Combos Court episodes. I'll leave a link in the description for that. Another way to support is share this episode, man. Share it on social media. Share it with a friend. Tell a friend to tell a friend about Combos Court Podcast. Today's show, Jake Fisher joins in. Jake is the author of Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. Jake is also an NBA writer for Bleacher Report. You can find Jake on Twitter at Jake L. Fisher. That's J-A-K-E-L-F-I-S-E-H-E-R. You know you can find me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Luca, don't do it to him. Jake Fisher, straight off a radio hit, man. Welcome to Combo's Court. How are you feeling today? And it's gonna. I'm feeling good today. I, I went to the park and played my roommate one on one and knocked him three straight games. So we're feeling good. How about what you? Was, what was the scores looking like? We had 11-0. Oh man, who you, Jake? Who are you playing against, Jake? Who 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 is this guy? Listen, man? listen, listen. I got the court early. I got to warm up, and I felt good. You know. Okay. Okay. All right. So. Um, you know, Jake is the author of Built to Lose, How the NBA's Taking Era Changed the League. Uh, tell me more about the book. I mean, tanking is such a polarizing topic. There's a lot of interest in it. Was it your interest in it or was it because you just see a team losing gather so much interest over the years? Yeah, I mean, I'm from Philly originally, and I started off my career covering the Sixers for Liberty Ballers in 2013 when Sam Hankey took over that franchise, right? And then I went to school in, in Boston. I was interning for Slam Magazine, and I would go to TD Garden at night, moonlighting as an NBA reporter with a credential around my neck. And, and, you know, people forget Boston traded KG and Paul Pierce the same exact night that Sam Hankey traded Drew Holiday uh, for New Orleans Noel in New Orleans. And it just kind of felt like I was in the eye of the hurricane where all these analytical-minded executives were, were tanking for that 2014 class because – Embiid and Wiggins and Jabari Parker, even down to Julius Randle, that class was considered to be the best class since 2003. And who was running the league at that time? LeBron, Wade, and Bosch down in Miami. So all these all these execs thought, let's 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 punt a couple years. We're not going to beat the Heat anyway. By the time the Heat you know crumble and their dynasties on the last legs or whatever, we'll be here and we'll be contending. And that's kind of happened in Philly and Phoenix in particular. Obviously, Boston's not there right now, but they made the conference finals a bunch of years. So. I think the strategy was very popular for an obvious reason, and it had clear dividends. How did the other governors around the league receive what Hinky was doing? How, how did they react to it? Did all of them not really like it? Was there a split? Did, not, did the other governors not really mind? Like, how did that go? Yeah, I mean, 
clearly, I, I think lottery reform from the executives I talked to, and that, that's kind of the selling pitch for the book. I talked to over 300 people from, you know, GMs to head coaches to players, agents, et cetera. Um, and there, there was a clear emphasis from the rival team saying, you know, when Philly comes into our arena, when these other bad teams come into our arena, we can't sell tickets. Um, especially when Jill Okafor ended up getting in that fight in Boston. Um, it, it was considered to be kind of a laughingstock and a black eye on the league where Philly just was seemed to be like just this losing effort of young guys with no real direction. And there was definitely an emphasis from the NBA, from other owners to create lottery reform like we've seen. I mean, in 2014, when lottery reform first got proposed, it got shot down by a very large percentage. And then by 2017, 29 teams voted yes, and one team abstained. It was the Dallas Mavericks. So clearly there was a giant shift, and all those teams wanted to get on board with the league's direction to you know, make sure this thing was, was a little bit less easy to do. But at the same time, you know, even now that we only have the, the, the bottom three teams of 14% versus the bottom team of 25%, we're still seeing OKC and Detroit and Houston and Orlando right now. They're doing things worse than Philly ever did, sending yes. out home for half the year, John Wall's sitting there healthy on the bench while Kevin Porter's taking his job. You know, it's still definitely alive and well. Tanking is here to stay. Yeah, I was going to talk about that with you. I mean, OKC is doing more of a tank job than Philly. And with an athlete mindset, I hate the idea of trying to lose, but I love what OKC, I love what OKC is doing. I mean, having Maladon and Pokashevsky get all these reps is just incredible, man. I love it. That's why the book's called Build to Lose, right? Like, you know, players and coaches, they're not trying to lose games. And especially in the league, anytime you set foot on that court, whether you're a coach or a player, you're not just doing it for yourself and your team. You're auditioning for all 29 other teams in the league too. But the rosters are built to lose. Players players who have experience or the talent – to win games they just can't get it done sure it's great to develop those guys and and it'll ultimately probably pay off for those guys you mentioned like especially Poku who's like a a toothpick out there you know getting these reps is going to be great for him long term and that's why OKC is doing it but also the immediate benefit is they're going to keep falling down the standings and compete for that number one pick and this draft 2021 is considered to be the best draft since 2014 which was considered to be the best draft since 2003 right so it's cyclical like the strategy it's just never going away. Is it fair to say the process worked for the Sixers? I think so. I mean, the goal that Sam Hinkie always talked about and that ownership group originally talked about was to be able to compete for multiple championships, right? It wasn't just to have, you know, one shot at it. Um, I mean, the Raptors got it done in 2019, right? But And, and they'll never – you can never take that championship away from them, but they're also definitely not in the title conversation anymore. And Philly is there. They're still going to be there as long as Joel Embiid is healthy, as long as Ben Simmons, you know, sticks around in Philadelphia long-term, which it, it seems like that they've built some real chemistry and camaraderie, those two guys. I mean, they're going to be in the picture here for a long, long time. Yeah, not all teams could get it done like an OKC or like a Sixers, right? They're kind of stuck in between. And it's interesting, like, if you're losing every game and you don't have real direction, nobody's going to go to these games. You're going to lose money. Yeah, and I also think that's a big factor in why it's not really being talked about right now with the Thunder and the Rockets and whatnot. Because yeah. of the pandemic, obviously, there isn't fans going in mass anyway to the arena. So there isn't right. that opportunity for the narrative to be, well, they can't fill the stadium. It's, you know, they're not, people aren't coming when the Thunder are in town because people aren't coming regardless anyway. So that's kind of been like a nice way for, 
I mean, nothing is nice about the pandemic, but, you know, all things considered, right. it's, it's been a convenient opportunity for the tanking teams right now to kind of slide onto the radar. Yeah, the process, the draft, it all ties in together. We cover the draft often, often here on this podcast, and I'd like to ask you, I think this ties into what you wrote about in your book. When a player doesn't want to be drafted by a particular team, do teams generally stay away from that player? Yeah, I mean, I have this great detail from 2015, for example, where Devin Booker didn't want to go to the Utah Jazz. It was funny. I called John Calipari. I got him on the phone. We talked for about a half hour. And at one point in there, he just slipped something in like, yeah, and Devin, you know, didn't want to work out for one team. That's what helped him get to Phoenix. I was like, okay, like, I wonder who that team is. Can you tell me? He said, no, I don't want to put words in somebody else's mouth, like whatever. So the Suns came to New York. I remember I was sitting with Devin on uh, the Madison Square Garden court, like courtside after shoot around. He's untying his sneakers. And I just said like, hey, like Cal told me there wasn't a team he wanted to go to. Like, who was that team? He said, oh, it was the Jazz. Like, <laughs> he, he didn't mind telling you. I don't, I don't want to play in Utah. <laughs> Shifting to the Pacers. You wrote an article <laughs> on Nate, man. This is a debacle. This is crazy. This is not going well. And it really shows that there's more to coaching than X's and O's. Yeah, I mean, it's a theme throughout the book, too. But I tell people, anytime someone asks me, like, what's it like covering the NBA? I always tell them, man, the basketball is such a little aspect of, the, of this thing. I mean, from 48 on the clock to zero on the clock, that's like 1% of the behemoth that is the league, right? It's a workplace. It's an, it's an organization. You're flying on the team playing. You're going to shoot around. You're going to film sessions. You're going to the hotel for team lunch. You're going to get your afternoon lift in. Like it's, it's a grind. And if you don't, if you can't manage the personalities well, if you can't coexist with people in that type of, you know, inclusive environment, you're never going to be successful. I mean, there, there's, there's a, there's a, a big cliche throughout the league that like everyone's happy when you're winning. Right. So when you're not winning, all those issues tend to bubble to the surface. And that's what happened in Indiana throughout this season. They hired Nate to be the guy to push them into the title conversation. And then they fell down to nine. So when, when that happens, all the, all the issues definitely start to bubble to the surface. Yeah, it's like the chicken and the egg thing. Did Nate cause this losing or did the losing cause the problems with Nate, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'm not there, so I can't give you a definitive answer. But, I mean, from from the conversations I've had with people in and around that organization, it sounds like this is who he was um, throughout his tenure. I mean, people, even after I wrote that story, I had a bunch of people around the NBA text me. You know, I heard similar things about how how he acted when he was a G League head coach. So, um, but then again, like you look back to the preseason and in and, and, uh, the beginning of the year, like Sabonis and Brogdon were calling him a genius and all that type of stuff. So clearly he's got the X's and O's and he's got the basketball acumen. But I think I think the communication style is what ultimately has been a big issue there. Yeah, he has the X's and O's and watching them play. Does it feel like he just try and fit the Raptors system into what he was doing with the Pacers and not really looking at personnel? Yeah, I mean, that's what, um, you know, a couple people the Patriots told me, especially defensively, like they're playing this aggressive switching style and they play these zones where they're trapping the wings and all that type of stuff. And then they got two bigs. He should probably be in like drop coverage and protecting the rim. And they're giving up a lot of points at the rim right now. And, you know, they don't have wings that can really switch like that. And I mean, it seems like it's been from like, you know, Caitlin Cooper is a great Pacers writer for SB Nation. She's been calling out the defense all year long. And I, I think a lot of people in the Pacers organization are kind of pulling their hair out at seeing the, the defensive issues throughout the year. 
I'm taking it back to the process. I mean, it's been interesting to see how some of these players' games evolved, you know, during their career. Uh, does anybody come to thought? It's interesting. I mean, we have uh, Jeremy Grant, who's really took a leap, and that's really because he bet on himself. And then Nerlens Noel bet on himself, and it didn't really work out at first, but now he's doing so great with the Knicks. And I feel like with Jaleel Okafor, man, like maybe if he was drafted 20 years ago, it would have been a different yes. career for him. And hopefully he could turn it around as well. Yeah, I mean, Nerlens was somebody even a couple months ago back around the trade deadline that a lot of executives I talked to were, were saying, you know, why would I go trade for Rashawn Holmes and pay him 20 million when I could just get Nerlens for the minimum? And everyone was just saying I could just get Nerlens for the minimum. And now you know, I, I made some calls this week for a, a free agent story coming up. And everyone's saying Nerlens might get 10, 15 million this year. So, I mean, he turned down that money back in Dallas and obviously turning down 74 million is, is a lot to, to think about, but it seems like he might make it back this year. And I think he's a perfect example of how the league is a grind and a journey for a lot of people. Like everyone kind of says um, a lot, like in the draft chat and all that type of stuff, like, Oh, this is a guy who needs to land in the right situation. No, screw that. If you're not LeBron, every player needs to be in the right situation, right? It's just right system, right city, right timing, right, right climate, right complementary pieces. Like, sure, you can plug and play a bunch of guys um, and they can, you know, be successful everywhere. But to, like, really maximize their earning potential and maximize, like, what their role can be in the league, like, every guy needs to be in the perfect situation. It seems like no one's found that right now. Yeah, it's a process. It's a process. <laughs> so, okay, look, I mean, this is going to be interesting going into the playoffs. I think there's so many teams that could win it. Uh, just depends on what teams stay healthy. But with all teams healthy, right, who do you like? Who do you think has the best chance to win it all? I would still say the Lakers with the Nets as a close second because of their defensive baseline is a lot higher than the Nets. But, I mean, the Nets have a lot more offensive firepower. Everybody yeah. at peak, everybody healthy, everybody hitting on all cylinders. Who do you think will win the NBA championship? It's tough. It's a really tough. I mean, I wish it was a simple answer. I will say of late, I, I thought it was Brooklyn all the way in, in the East, but of late, the way it's shaped out and the way the bracket's shaped out, I mean, if, especially if Philly can avoid Milwaukee, in that one, or not not Milwaukee, Miami, excuse me, because Miami's in that six seed floating around. Um, if, if Miami gets up to four or five, then Philly's going to have to probably potentially play them in the, in the second. But for now, I mean, they're going to get the eight seed after the play-in tournament. So that eight seed team will have definitely played two games in the play-in tournament. Then they're going to get yeah. maybe potentially New York versus Atlanta, which, you know, two good stories this year, but neither of those teams really had the firepower of Philly. So they're going to kind of sleepwalk to the conference finals before they get the winner of Milwaukee, Brooklyn, who are probably going to beat up on, on each other throughout that series. So they've got a pretty direct path there. So on the, on the West, I mean – you're right. I, I talked to a bunch of executives yesterday who all said, if the Lakers are healthy, I'm not betting against Braun and AD. And I, I still think they're considered to be the favorite. Again, if they're healthy, if, if, if they're there, if, if they're, you know, if, if Dennis Schroeder's back and doing what he can do, um, I think the Lakers are still the favorite, absolutely. I've always been higher on the Sixers than most. Even last year, I had them against the Lakers and Lakers winning it all before everything crazy happened, you know, before the bubble, before the pandemic. This year... I really like the Sixers as well because they even got better. I mean, from the front office to obviously the leadership with Doc, Joel yeah. playing at an MVP level, Ben being a defensive player of the year. I always really liked them. It'd be interesting to see them, you know, 
seeing them in the finals. Yeah, what, what's funny with them is as much as it's Joel and Ben and Tobias, like you're right, the supporting cast that they've got now is much more improved. Seth is huge for them. Seth is huge. And that, to me, I think is the biggest factor. If those guys are hitting shots, if Furkan Korkmaz gets hot for two weeks, like how can you really stop Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons when those other guys are doing what they're, what they're, what they're capable of doing? Most definitely. Great stuff, Jake. You only told me the score of the first game in the beginning, so we need to find out the score for the second and third. I didn't forget. I need to find this out. So 11-0. He came back like 11-4. Okay. We're playing ones and twos, too, so I was hitting a couple step backs. Anal- okay, so that's crazy analytics. You got to shoot mostly threes. Three you got to right? shoot mostly threes. And he's like, <laughs> you haven't missed, and you're only shooting threes. I'm like, yeah, you want to play ones and twos, and I can shoot, and you can't. Like, what do you expect me to do? Yeah, that he, that he steps up, you go right by. Okay, so second game, 11-4, third game. Third game was like 11-5, 11-6, yeah. Actually, oh. no, I hit 12 that game because I remember we had two guys – because now I'm double-vaxxed. I'm two weeks out. I'm ready to play some some actual ball now. And uh, these two kids walked up and said, you guys want to run twos? And it was like 6-5, and I got the ball checked, and he said, um, you know, let's get this game done quick. And I said, all right. And I hit three straight, so. <laughs> oh, man. Just a clean sweep. Just a – Jay, great, great stuff. Um, you're always welcome back on the show. Where can we find the book? Where can we get it? Where can we purchase it? The book is available anywhere books are sold, amazon.com, bookshop.org if you want to support a local bookseller. We got it at Barnes & Noble, my publisher, Triumph. And like I said at the top, um, you know, it's got 300 original interviews with, I mean, the book is literally all full of new info and new reporting and stories that you're not going to find anywhere else. And if you get a watch at La Terrain, we got a new partnership. Um, you get a free copy of the book with every watch purchase. So keep that in mind too. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, where can we find you on social media? Yeah, I'm at Jake L. Fisher on everything, F-I-S-C-H-E-R. And uh, I'm, I'm growing my Instagram. I'm not a big Instagram fan. I think it's kind of ruining society. Oh, but, uh, I'm the opposite of you. I have My Instagram follower is way bigger than my Twitter following. So we're, we're like kind of, we're kind of, you know, opposites on that end. It's all good, man. Yeah, you can find me there. Jake, great stuff. You're always welcome back on the show and talk soon. For sure, man. Have a good one, all right? Yes, sir. You too. There it is. Another episode of Combos Court. Thank you to everyone who tunes into the show across the globe. And big shouts to Jake for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation, don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button. If you would like to support this podcast, check out the Combos Court Patreon page. I'll leave a link in the description for that. You could join in as a Combos Court patron. There's two tiers, and on one of those tiers, you could receive bonus content. That's right, exclusive patron-only Combos Court episodes. I'll leave a link in the description for that. Another way to support is share this episode with a friend. Share it on social media. Tell a friend to tell a friend about Combos Court Podcast. Be on the lookout for episode 268, Combo Out.